0: Revelation 3, verses 1 to 6. To the angel of the church in Sardis, write These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the Book of Life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches.
1: Thank you, Kim. Have you ever been caught napping? Falling asleep at the wrong time is very embarrassing, isn't it? I once fell asleep on a pastoral visit. (laughs) I was meant to be listening very intently, and the church member was so kind... said you're very tired just put your head back and have a little sleep (laughs) of course I felt far too embarrassed the city of Sardis capital of the ancient kingdom of Lydia in what is now Turkey uh, as an active commercial city very wealthy capital of King Croesus proverbial for wealth was twice caught out for being asleep. In 547-546 BC, the Persian emperor, Cyrus II, and then in 214 BC, Antiochus III, the Seleucid, both scaled the walls of Sardis when the soldiers were kept were were napping three sides of the city were heavily guarded but the fourth side was a steep cliff and was believed to be impregnable except that it wasn't and when the soldiers relaxed the enemy attacked and captured the city And so when Jesus says in verse 2, wake up, and verse 3, if you do not wake up, those with historical knowledge may have thought of these catastrophes. And in the same way as disaster fell in the 6th and 3rd centuries, so spiritual disaster will befall the church in Sardis if it doesn't wake up you'll remember the book of Revelation is written under God by the apostle John in the late 90s AD during the persecution of the emperor Domitian and Jesus speaks these seven letters to seven churches And they're all different. They all have different spiritual needs. Ephesus has forsaken its first love of Jesus. Smyrna faces persecution. Pergamum is unfaithful. Thyatira is compromised and immoral. But they're all offered one solution. That is, to come back to Christ in repentance and faith. And so today, let's look at Sardis. I want to show you the problem and the solution. Firstly then, the problem, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Sardis right? We've been saying that the angel, which can also be translated messenger, may well be referring to to the pastor of the church. These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. These are the words of Jesus. The number seven is the number of perfection in the Bible. So the seven spirits, or the sevenfold spirit, is the Holy Spirit the spirit of perfection or completion. So what Jesus says, the spirit says. They're together. They're one. The seven stars are the seven messengers, angels or pastors. Jesus speaks this letter. But verse 6. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What Jesus says, the Spirit says. You cannot separate Jesus from the Spirit. You cannot separate the Trinity. That's why we're a Bible-teaching church. What Jesus says, the Spirit says. The Spirit inspires the Bible. Notice, this is a contemporary word. Although these words were spoken 2,000 years ago, they're in the present tense the Spirit says these words. And the Spirit says them to the churches. Yes, this was written to Sardis, but the Spirit says these words to the churches. The Spirit is speaking these words to Christchurch bulldog today. Now, what is the problem in Sardis? Verse 1. I know your deeds. Jesus knows our deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. That's devastating, isn't it? Christchurch Baldock has a reputation being an alive church the Bible is taught the gospel is preached people know about Christ Church Baldock just imagine if Jesus said to us you have a reputation for being alive but you are dead imagine this church's meetings the Bible was expounded, there was prayer, there was financial giving, but it was all a sham, or nearly all of it was a sham. And Jesus is not impressed. Verse 2 I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. I don't know if you ever left a job unfinished we all have and you have to sit and look at that job don't you, unfinished could be decorating could be repairs to the car or repairs to the house or a piece of work for school or college or something for your paid work it's very depressing to look at a piece of unfinished work and essentially the work has no value You can't give an unfinished work for your A-level coursework. You can't turn up with unfinished work for your employer. I couldn't turn up here on a Sunday and say, Well, I've only prepared verses 1 and 2. I couldn't be bothered to finish it. It would be worthless. And Jesus is saying, Our work for Him is worthless if it's not finished that's to say if it's not done out of love for him if there's no commitment I wonder is that a a word for someone you've stopped working for Jesus you used to serve him now you've given up on Jesus There's one more problem in Sardis. It comes in verse 4. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. The implication being that uh, many have soiled their clothes. I'm not very good with disgusting things. I was fine with changing my own baby's nappies. That was fine. I we once went on the Eurostar and my dearest son and heir was sick all over himself on both journeys. <laughs> my father's marvellous with this kind of thing. He was a nurse. I have a different calling. <laughs> the image is obvious. The soiled clothes are a picture of sin. And most of the church members here were utterly ruined by their sin. They're not living to please King Jesus. They don't love him. Well, I wonder, can we see anything of ourselves in the problems in Sardis? My guess is that we don't think our sin is very serious. We get used to our own sin, rather like the person who goes to the doctor with a minor ailment and doesn't think anything of it. They're unconcerned, but perhaps they're persuaded to go to the doctor. She arranges some tests. The patient goes back still unconcerned, Idly thumbing through back copies of Hello Magazine. Then they go into the consulting room and they're told they have stage four cancer. Sin is like that. You can't just accommodate it in your life, it will have consequences. So there's the problem. But let's look secondly at the solution, verse 2. Wake up! Are you asleep spiritually? Are you alert to what God is saying to you? Do you give God a chance to speak to you? Do you read his word? Do you pray? you come to church with expectation wake up strengthen what remains and is about to die so there is hope for this church there's still a flicker of life this church can have a future but it must strengthen itself It must strengthen itself in God. It must get back to loving God. It must rekindle that love. Otherwise, it will die. And the history of Christianity is partly the history of churches which have died. Churches die when they stop loving God. Verse 3 Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Remember the gospel. Remember the good news about Jesus. Hold it fast and repent. That's always the answer. <coughs> Hold on tight to the gospel. Never move from the gospel. Repent. Where is the Spirit asking us to repent today? What's wrong with us spiritually? Where have we accommodated sin? But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what time I will come to you. That's a terrifying thought. If you know what time a thief is coming, you can take precautions. But of course, you never know. And Jesus is saying he will come in judgment. He will come to destroy the church when they least expect it. We mustn't mess around with Jesus. Rather, we must repent. But Jesus isn't a cruel tyrant. Jesus is saying to the church, I love you. I died for you. I want you to be with me in heaven. But you must let go of your sin. You must turn back to me. You must repent. You must trust me. Trust that when I died on the cross, I took the punishment for all your sin. Now today, you can be completely forgiven. Christchurch Bulldog can be secure, but you must repent. I wonder if you realize how much Jesus loves you. There was a documentary on television about Queen Victoria, and we always assumed she was rather unemotional. She always looks severe, doesn't she, in the pictures. But her letters and journals reveal her to be a mass of emotions. She was very bitter towards her mother. As soon as she became queen, she banished her mother and hardly ever spoke to her again. She believed her mother didn't love her. Somehow, she got this into her head. Then, her mother died. And she found a collection of letters her mother had written to her when she was a little girl. Victoria had forgotten how much her mother loved her. I wonder... Have you done this with Jesus? He loves you. Verse 4 Those who have not sold their clothes, they will walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. This is a picture of intimacy. In the ancient world, the favorites of the king were allowed to walk with him in the royal garden. In the Persian Empire, The intimates of the king were known as companions of the garden. In the Bible, God let Adam walk with him in the garden. Enoch and Noah walked with God. This is a picture of intimacy. And this is a picture of purity dressed in white. Don't you want this? Don't you want to be pure? Don't you want to be intimate with God? Don't you want to know him in prayer and hear his voice in the word? This really is the sweetest thing ever. I remember when I was in my gap year. In the upper sixth, I had a short time of rebellion against God. I got in with the clubbing crowd. And then at the end of that year, I joined a Christian choir called Cambrensis, And we went to France. We took services and put on concerts, did open air evangelism. And I realised this was joy. Not clubbing, not drinking. Being close to Jesus. This was joy. Walking with him. This is also a picture of security in verse 5. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person, from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. What does it mean to be victorious? It doesn't mean to be perfect. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us, 1 John 1.8. No, being victorious doesn't mean being perfect. But it does mean that we've made a fundamental decision to love Jesus and to please him. To love Jesus means to obey him, John fourteen fifteen. So the one who is victorious will be dressed in white. White is a picture of purity. Just think about this. Think of everything we've ever done wrong. And that's all of us. We've all done many things wrong. Now, we can be dressed in white. If we will come to Jesus for the forgiveness he offers, we can be dressed in white. We can be officially clean. You can leave here today dressed in white. And it gets better. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life. The book of life is the great record in heaven of everyone who is saved, who belongs to Jesus who knows that they're going to heaven. If your name is in that book, if you've come to Jesus in repentance, if you've put your trust in Jesus, if you're dressed in white, Jesus will never blot out your name from the book. We are eternally secure in Christ. This doctrine is sometimes called the perseverance of the saints. In other words, God's people were all saints. God's people will persevere to the end. We are written in the book of life. Jesus will never blot us out. However, a friend said to me that a better name for this doctrine is not the perseverance of the saints, but rather. The perseverance of God. God perseveres with us. We're hopeless. We let him down again and again. But he perseveres with us. Jesus never lets us go. He never blots out our name from the book. But rather, Jesus will acknowledge that name, that's us, before my Father and his angels. Isn't that amazing? Jesus says to the Father, here is Chris Jenkins. I acknowledge him, Father. He is one for whom I died. Welcome him into your presence. And that's what he says for each one of us if we're trusting him. Well, what will you do as a result of this sermon? Someone has written, living as a Christian can be quite an adventure. It's rather like the amazing journey that Frodo Baggins and Samwise Gamgee went on in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. You may progress from hiking along a treacherous mountain trail to braving a fierce storm, to battling the enemy, to sailing a placid lake or strolling through a pleasant field. There are ups, downs and unexpected turns. Though you may go back along a trail, you have been travelling The one thing you don't want in your Christian walk is to go backwards spiritually. Which direction are we going in spiritually? As a church what is Jesus saying to us today? Wake up. Strengthen what remains. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. Have your soiled clothes washed in the blood of Jesus. Be dressed in white. Enjoy the intimacy. Of walking with Jesus. Be secure in Jesus. Your name will never be blotted out. From the book of life. But you must be in Christ. You must be trusting him. We must be loving him. We must be obeying him. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Father, no matter what our reputation. We want to be genuine. We want to be the real thing. We want to be authentic. We want to know you and to love you and to serve you and know this intimacy with you. To know the forgiveness of our sins. Relationship with you. The hope of heaven. So, Father, please come to each one of us. If there's any here this morning, Lord, who don't know you yet, draw them to yourself. And for each one of us, Lord, enable us to turn from our sin, to be washed, to be right with you. Lord, we commit ourselves to you